This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne. I'm joined here by Director of Fun and Games, John Brazier. Hello, John. Tom, how you doing? Beautiful day out. Look at this view. Isn't it something? It is something. I think uh, I think winter is finally over. I think we are <laughs> seeing clear skies and nice weather from here on out. I think it's official. Yep. John and I do this podcast right from the Richie Ashburn broadcast booth. It's pretty awesome, huh? Uh, very awesome. In fact, Richie always has. In fact, our, our guest today, Video Dan Stevenson, uh, will has a big relationship with Richie Ashburn, and I'm sure he'll factor in some of the stories we have today with Video Dan. Well, I thought about it, John. When we first started talking about doing this podcast, I think this was the guy we thought would be our first guest, or just the one when we thought about this this concept, concept of, yeah. hey, you know, at the lunch table. I know when Dan's over in the corner eating lunch, like, I go right over to Dan because I want to hear more stories. He has the, and, and even if you've heard the story 20 times, it's still the best <laughs> yeah, story ever. Because he goes way back, and he's infiltrated himself for a long time in the clubhouse. So he's got these great stories, especially from way back when. So I cannot wait to have video Dan in. And you know what? We have to thank some people, Tom. Yeah, we do. We do because uh, we're back doing our podcast. We've recorded last week, so we haven't had a chance to thank our good friend Skip Denenberg for, we've got a musical opening now, John. How about it? I'm a little nervous because, you know, I think by their nature, podcasts are supposed to be a little, you know, kind of Wayne's Worldy kind of, you know, two guys in their basement with uh, a radio, you know, Wayne and Garth just doing it. But now, all of a sudden, are we we going like mainstream? We've got a song. We've got a world-class engine and Rob Brooks yeah. pushing the buttons here. And not just anyway, Skip Denenberg traveled with yeah. Willie Nelson and has yeah. toured is a big-time artist. Rob Brooks is the play-by-play guy for Drexel Basketball. So we're not talking small potatoes here, Tom. No, we're not. No, but we really do want to thank Skip. Uh, Skip really is uh, a great musician. He's been in the area for a long time. People have heard him on WIP. He's their musical director, but he's he has a the, long He's history. also the Fanatics musical director. Well, you know, he's done a lot of uh, music videos with Dan Stevenson. We'll talk to Dan maybe a little bit about Skip, but uh, I know the first time I met Skip, he was working on a project with Dan about Richie Ashburn, as a matter of fact, and we hit it off right away, and he's like, I want to write the Fanatica song, and he knew what uh, kind of uh, Jackson Brown fan I was, loved Jackson Brown. So and the Fanatic. And the Fanatic, and so he did the song a little bit Fanatic, and if you listen to the beginning of it, it kind of sounds like the beginning of Take It Easy. <laughs> Don't tell, uh, well, Glenn Fry has gone to his eternal reward, so uh, I think uh, he won't mind, but we won't tell Jackson that maybe... Yeah. Skip might have taken a couple chords from him, but uh, but you know we want to thank Skip. It's really awesome, and actually he's got a great CD out too, Morning Star Sessions, John. It's really I've really good. It. It's it. gotten great reviews. Filled up the Inquirer gave it uh, three and a half stars. Um, so if you need to go out and get that, it's at st- uh, skipdenenberg.com. Right, Tom, but I've got a big question for you because uh, last time we did the podcast. Uh, you were about to take a flight to Japan yeah. with the Fanatic and with uh, your friend D, right? Who yes. Books, who books the Fanatic? Andrea Guest. Yep. And so tell me about the trip. 
Yeah, any, was, any international incident, first of all? <laughs> we uh, kept the Fanatic out of uh, jail over there in Tokyo, That's so good. that was a good, a good start. Uh, long flight, John. We, uh, I was with the Fanatic. We left uh, JFK in New York. To, it's about a 15-hour flight to Tokyo, and uh, it's the fourth time I've gone with the Fanatic. I know we had Dave Raymond on before, so uh, Dave went over the Fanatic back in the, the late 70s. But uh, awesome trip. I tell you, what's really cool, I guess what's really cool about my job, always hanging out with the Fanatic, and I've said it before, is – just the reaction of people. If you ever been down to the ballpark, you see what a rock star the fanatic is. I mean, he gets swarmed. He's, you know, everybody's high five and their pictures and people just going crazy. And I got to tell you, going over to Tokyo, just the response and the excitement of the fans over there when the fanatic came yeah, out on the field was awesome. Because it's a baseball awesome. mad country. They no, are. But do they know the fanatic? Like, I'm sure they do. They know the fanatic, or were you just were you basically introduced over there? No. Or they, yeah, had, the baseball fans really, I think, they do knew the know. Fanatic. Not everybody, probably, you right. know. But uh, he has been over there before. They did a nice job merchandising it. Um, when uh, for all fans who came into the ballpark, they gave out the grocery bags, like nice plastic grocery bags, and they had the fanatic uh, logo and the swallows. The swallows have a mascot. The Yakult swallows. Yeah, the Yakult swallows. Uh, and one of our Former players David Buchanan plays for them. I got a chance to meet and see, uh, say hi to David Buchanan. Uh, caught up with David. Yeah, he's doing real well over Is there. He's one of their best pitchers. And he's been over there for a couple of years? Or? He's been over there for a couple of years. Uh, he signed a two-year contract. Okay. And uh, doing real well. Um but, yeah, and uh, you know, it was just a, a great time. I mean, the Fanatic uh, did a couple routines. I think part of the the idea going over there is the Fanatic was going to assimilate to some of their traditions. Uh, they do an umbrella dance in the seventh inning that's just for the occult swallows, just in that stadium every uh, seventh inning they do this. Everybody brings an umbrella, if you can imagine that, and they've got about 30,000 people raising their umbrellas in the air. So the Fanatic brought an umbrella, uh, and then the Fanatic wanted to kind of show him what he's about to. Uh, he put a tutu on and danced around on the field and fell into the arms of their female mascot. And which, again, a uh, good reaction. Did you get a great reaction from the crowd? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think they were a little uh, wondering, you know, <laughs> what, what's going <laughs> on? We were playing like the waltz of the, you know, the wildflowers or whatever the heck that is, and then into a little dirty dancing where the you know the girl jumps into the guy's arms at the end but uh so were you treating it like a home game like the Yakult Swallows for the Phillies so yes. you're up on the, the Fanatics up on the dugout he's giving the whammy and he's he's trying to get the crowd going yeah but you know what that's what's different really about how their mascots handle a game and how maybe the Fanatic does they really don't go out into the crowd and they don't have the dugout rooftops that uh, the Fanatic could go on top of so what do they have they do a lot uh, it's it, it, there's a net they have netting there okay. and that uh, and then it's just not very wide and just not a dugout top. We, you know, the whole time the Fanatic kept on saying, I want to go into the crowd. It's very narrow uh, rows and aisles, and they were packed in. They sold out both games, 35,000 people. And um, so we finally did go into the crowd at one point, and um, it, they did a little Q&A with some kids and the Fanatic. And it was great because that was the time, really, that the Fanatic was able to be the fanatic and kind of goof with the fans. He found one lady who had a Phillies hat on. And here's the cool thing, John. You know, Char we talked about it the other uh, last week. Charlie Manuel was, played. It was a big star over exactly. there. Exactly. So it was kind of a Philly fanatic night and Charlie Manuel night. They gave out 1,500. Oh, oh, Charlie, Charlie played for the Yakult He played for him. He hit, I think, 38 home runs uh, every, one year. Every year, well, for many years, he and Sadahara O oh. oh were basically – Going at it, they had a big competition to be who was going to be. It was almost like Bonds and McGuire 
you know, way back when, or Sosa and McGuire. Yeah. Uh, it was basically, he would always be competing with Sadahara O for the home run title. Yeah, they still remember him over there. So much so, they gave out 1,500 uh, Charlie Manuel Yakult Swallow jerseys, wow. which I'm trying to get my hands on. I was going to say, you had to get I one. I know. Uh, our contact over there is going to mail me one because uh, we left without getting Charlie. It. I wonder if Charlie I know. knows. Well, Charlie knows the Fanatic was going over. He'd see me every time uh, down in spring training. He's like, hey, tell the Fanatic, you know, they're going to love him over there. They're going to love him. And they actually, they played a video of Charlie Manuel on the, uh, during the game of him uh, saying hi and greeting all the fans and telling everybody how much they're going to love the Fanatic. They had uh, stats on, of Charlie Manuel and old pictures of Charlie oh, Manuel on, on the video board. So it was cool to see people wearing their Manuel jerseys. It was like a home game for the Fanatic. You know, my, my favorite Charlie Manuel story, and maybe we can get him on the air one of these times to talk about it, uh, but I'll, I, I don't, won't tell the full story, but I remember when he went over there, we asked him, you know, what's it like uh, playing in Japan? What's different about American baseball and Japanese baseball? He said, well, you go over there, and it was a big fitness thing. Like, they they literally would run all up and, up and down mountains, and they'd run everywhere. And he said, here, he was a big power hitter, so he wasn't really a, uh, he wasn't a thin guy. He wasn't, you know, he was a big power guy. So he said it was tough. He said the first practice, he's, he's running up and down these mountains, running everywhere. Next thing you know, they're like, all right, he thinks practice is over. And they, they said, all right, we're going to get in the, the pool. So he gets in this big hot tub, and he thinks he's by himself. He thinks maybe the trainer's going to come in and do something. And next thing you know, 20, he was single, and 20 <laughs> Japanese women climb into the pool with him. hey Yes, he said, maybe this workout's not so bad. Right? <laughs> I can no endure. wonder he liked it over yes, there. Yes, I can endure this training if this is the uh, end result. So I uh, I. He knew I was going to be joining the Fanatic over there, and I had to ask him because I'd heard this story before. I said, Charlie, is it true? He used to get thrown out a lot. Uh, a lot. You know, they used out to there, throw. There, really? Yeah, they used to throw at him because what? he was a big guy from oh, America. Not thrown out from the umpire. No, he, no. He, he used he, to throw. Yeah, the pitchers would throw at him. Okay. And uh, they said he got hit once, and he charged the mound. And you know, the the, the, the folks aren't they are real big. You know, they're a little smaller. You know, their pitchers aren't quite as big. Charlie, can you imagine Charlie, the Red Devil? And again, he was a big, big, big man. guy coming after you. The pitcher turns around and runs out towards the <laughs> outfield and up the truck ramp. <laughs> Charlie chased him right off the that field. That is great. Did he catch up? Yeah, he goes, yeah, that. He goes, yep, 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 that happened. <laughs> that is classic. Yeah, that is absolutely classic. So. Now, I'm glad that the Fanatic has a little more uh, cultural, is it appropriation? Has a little more um, respect for the cultural traditions because I remember when the Fanatic went over to Puerto Rico, uh, he, he, the Fanatic, what, I don't think he was schooled in geography exactly. or cultural uh, learning, so yeah, to speak. It's not that, it, he has respect for all the oh, different cultures. Oh, no, he cultures. has a respect. He just, but he but just didn't he, understand. Yeah, he doesn't understand ge- geometry, no, geography. geography. <laughs> well, and I'm not going to tell the full story, but I do remember it because yeah. I was on that trip with the Fanatic. You were. And uh, in, a, in, a, in a stadium packed with Puerto Rican fans because yes. it was Carlos Bierga had a big charity softball game and all the different uh, – it was every great – and back then there were some mm. great Puerto Rican uh, baseball players. And just and Latinos. Still are. It was just oh, a lot oh, of Latinos, all, oh, it was, all the Latino players. Oh, I thought players. it was mostly Puerto Rican because it was the Alamars who are from Puerto Rico, right? Yep. Cansecos, are they from Puerto Rico? I just know there were a lot of Latino Bay players. Erica, that, but I think the yep. majority were from Puerto Rico. Well, anyway, the Fanatic was designated to go over there to perform for this all-star. Yes. And uh, I remember the Fanatic um, what, didn't tell me what he was going to do in his routine. 
and I was in the stands, kind of just I was going to be one of the, all the Puerto Rican fans, and I was going to get the uh, you know get the climate, get the gauge of of uh, what the fanatic. And, and the fanatic came out in a poncho sombrero and danced to Richie Valens uh, La Bamba. He did the Mexican and, hat dance first, and then that broke into La Bamba, which which would have been the poncho, the sombrero, and and La Bamba would have been all big if we were performing in Mexico City, Correct. but we weren't. We were we were performing in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and That's there right. was there was a lot of crickets uh, at that point. It wasn't until after the game when I think you showed him a map, John, yes, and he, yes. he thought, I think he was about a thousand miles off course. Yes. I think he thought Puerto Rico might have been a little closer to Mexico. So, yeah. Let's, our uh, guest has arrived, John. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we will, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great video Dan Stevenson. Toyota brings you the Reese Hoskins starting lineup collectible figure, free to all kids 14 and under, Sunday, May 27th at 1.35 against the Toronto Blue Jays. Order tickets now at phillies.com. And we are back with uh, the great Dan Stevenson. Just walked into the room. And video Dan, we are very, very happy to have you here. Very psyched. Hold on, Tom. You can't say his name without doing it in Harry Cow's. Video. <laughs> vidage. Video. Vidage. You know, there are a lot of names for you around here. What's and, up, uh, boys? Yeah, it's good. And, you know, and I was going to say, this is uh, familiar territory to you being yep. in this radio booth because for the last two years, you've been videotaping every one of the Friday night roundtables, which is the uh, post-game radio show. And first of all, what are you going to do with all that video uh, that you're shooting? And second of all, doesn't it concern you a little bit that really your whole career has been based around videotaping Larry Anderson? It, that's sad. It's just sad to base your career on that. Actually, the, the footage is going to be used for my lawsuit against him. Really? <laughs> because uh-huh. l- literally every single roundtable he takes a shot at me. Now Crux jumping on that bandwagon. So I figure I'm, I'm compiling evidence. Uh, from my defamation, <laughs> I should I should clean yeah, up. Especially on if this. you're ke- keeping B roll, <laughs> yeah. right? Because the B roll has got to be worse than the well, A roll. There, there's and, several digits that are flipped at me during the course of that. And that, part of your job, you know, uh, everybody knows you write and produce all the season-ending highlight films. Uh, you work with Scott Palmer on the weekly TV show Behind the Pinstripes. But basically, I think your your main job title is. Fly on the wall, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. And I know an official historian. That's a great job title. Too, <laughs> that man. is fly on the wall yeah. and historian. I mean, that's the thing. When you start it and your story, I love it, Vid. You know, you, you were a bartender at Downey's, and did you ever think that you know you're you're pouring drinks, and then you know for the next forty years you're going to be the Phillies historian? Right. I mean, uh, no. how crazy is that? Uh, well, the crazy part was that I was a huge fan. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I was just some guy and, oh, okay, I'll work for this baseball team. Oh, I'll learn about him. No, I was like, I was already a, a, a Phillies historian from a fan's point of view. And I was one of those guys that during the 70s at the Jersey Shore, I'd be tending bar down there with a transistor radio in my pocket and an earplug. And somebody would order a drink and I would curse at them. And they thought there was something they had done. I said, never mind. Lazinski just dropped the ball in the end. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, Schmidt just struck out with the bases loaded. It's not you. So, I mean, I was that guy all those summers down at the shore, I, and I was obsessed with the Phillies. Um, I moved back to Philly in 1979, and so I got to live 1980 as a bartender right near the ballpark down. He's on front and south. And literally the same thing. I had a transistor in my ear. You know, the games were on TV all the time. And my mood went with how the team was going. And obviously – Near the end of that season, the whole town started to get excited about it because the Phillies were had been a disappointment up until the end of August. And then September, they went on this great run and somehow got to the uh, uh, 
Last weekend of the season in Montreal, had to win two out of three and did it. Came back uh, for the greatest NLCS ever in five games, the the Astros series, and then came back here for the World Series. So um, those were great times. I actually got to sneak in, I shouldn't say this, to the game six of the World Series uh, for $5. I won't say how. I'll just say somebody let me in. And then I ran into a guy who had an extra press pass down in the right field picnic area. So I literally watched the greatest game in Philly's history up until 2008, uh, about 10 feet from the field, and watched the entire game from there and got to see you know Pete catch the ball that Bob Boone dropped wow. and got to see Tug strike out Willie Wilson. And my life was done then. I was like, okay, that, you know, I don't have to see anymore now. This is great. I'm finished. And uh, I'm just going to go bartender Downies. Yeah, and just 10, <laughs> 10 bar Downies and live my life. And then <laughs> and until, until who walks in? <laughs> so who walks in about a year later was Chris Wheeler. And uh, we had an upstairs bar that uh, was restricted. to You had to wear a sport coat. And so we didn't get too many customers up there. And Wheels came in one night by himself, didn't know who I was. And I said to him, I wish you weren't here. And he got very insulted. He thought I was just some mean bartender kicking him out. And I said, he said, why? And I said, I wish you were working right now because the Phillies, had they beat the Expos, would still be in the playoffs. Mm. And he said, oh, you're a Phillies fan. And I'm like, yes, I am. We wound up spending four hours just chatting. One of the things he said to me was, was this all you do, 10 Bar? And I said, no, I have a little video business, and I shoot weddings and business things, legal things on the side. He goes, well, you know, we're looking for somebody. I said, what do you mean? He said, the, the video guy who's working for us is leaving with Dallas Green to go to the Cubs. And we need somebody. And I literally took that as, yeah, right. Like, I could have a job with the Phillies. I, you know, I, did, I dismissed it. I didn't even follow up on it. It was, it was too much of a fantasy thing. It would be like if Raquel Welch came in the bar and said, I'm looking for a husband. You, you'll do <laughs> You're kind of aging yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's I'm trying yes. to. I'm trying to give perspective on this. Right. At the time, period. Raquel and Welch. It, Dave Raymond was, was talking about how he was in love with Jane Fonda. So you're fine. There you go. There you go. Raquel was hotter. But, um, so about three weeks later, I get a call from the manager at Downey's, and he said, we need a bartender tonight. And I said, it's my night off. No way. He said, it's for the new Phillies owners. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll be, be there. Right there. So I'm setting up the bar, and a gentleman who we all know and love named Larry Shank, is, uh, he's all nervous because there are all these big heavy hitters that had just bought the Phillies. It was a conglomerate of owners, and one was Taft Broadcasting from Ohio and so forth. And he said, do you have this kind of scotch? Do you have this kind of, uh, you know, Cavassier? And, the, and he goes, hey, wait a minute. You're that video guy Chris Wheeler was telling me about. I'm like, really? He told you about me? He goes, yeah, you know, we need somebody. And I'm like, holy smokes, maybe there's something to this. So about two hours later, Bill Giles, who had just bought the team, he was the president of the team, put this ownership group together, is at the bar. And Larry walks up behind him and goes, Bill, this is our new video guy. And Bill just reaches out his hand, congratulations, nice to meet you. <laughs> so that long process of vetting someone, yeah. I seem to have bypassed that somehow, luckily. And uh, there were no background checks. These guys had no idea if I knew what I was doing or right. anything. They just sort of took my word, yeah, you're a video guy, okay. You can make a gin and tonic. Exactly. So, you're, you're so, so I had other <laughs> skills that were going to work one way or the other. Now think about the three of us here, okay? One guy, myself, yep. gets a job at a wedding. I met a guy at a wedding. You get a job working behind a bar. This guy who answers a classified ad <laughs> doesn't even know it's for a mascot. Yeah. And next thing you know, we're all three here 25-plus years later. That's why I, I have a hard time speaking at these job fairs because we, like, we're, we're three very good examples of 
people what that, not to do exactly and, and yet somehow it works out which kind of leads you to believe it's it's either going to happen or it's not it's fate so uh the, the next thing i know chris wheeler calls me he goes well it's my my duty to hire you if you want the job i say yeah i think i want the job he said can you be in clearwater in february i'm like yeah i think i can arrange nice. that. that's a tough one so, really could you imagine? So i'll never forget this so i drive down and i'm like this is it would be great if i was driving around just to spend a week in clearwater to watch the phillies as a fan but i'm getting paid for seven weeks down there i'm like this is crazy so i'm in heaven first of all it's nothing but hall of famers you know schmitty lefty you know pete was there uh boa no boa wasn't there boa actually got traded on the day i was officially hired and boa was my favorite philly so that that was kind of funny but it was all you know sarge the whole crew and i remember i sat behind home plate and videotaped each game for the players and i'm like this is like heaven to me this is and i said there is no way in the world i can keep this job it's way too good of a job so i might as well have fun bartender and so i was ordering beers behind home plate while i was taping the gig because i figured the scouts all sat behind me and bill giles and all these people and the beer vendors giving them stuff i said "Ah, if it's good enough for them it's good enough for me so i i I sat there and enjoyed my first spring Never heard anything bad That's, that's about because it. the Pope's looking down at you going, that's a good man I right like there. that guy. I like that guy. I, yeah, I, I did. I fit the Pope's style. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it, you know, the rest is history. Uh, well, you have some great interactions with yeah. a lot of the players. Was, was it the George Thurgood? Did you go to a George Thurgood party down there? No, no, no. That was that was even better. Well, uh, let me tell you my quick Paul Owen story. Okay. Because, and that was before then. This was 1983. We're in the World Series, my second year here, which was awesome. And they brought everybody down to Baltimore, and um, I remember the dugouts were tiny in Baltimore. They weren't like the vet, which had a great big photographer's area. And Paul Paul Owens was the manager of that team, and I was setting up in the corner of the dugout to shoot things, and Paul comes up to me and goes, well, he said, I just met with the umpires, and they said there's no room for any extra people in this dugout. He said, you know, we can't have any uh, extra trainers or anything, and they brought a bunch of people. He said, so this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to set up your camera in the corner of the dugout, and when the umpires call time and throw you out of the game, you'll be on national TV. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome, Pope. I mean, that, that's how he thought. He goes, so this will be great. He goes, you'll be on national TV. And they never did. They never threw me out, so I got to watch the – <laughs> games one and two in the World Series right in the dugout, right which the was dugout. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, we, we were talking about George Thurgood. So so I th- thought that was down in Tampa. That's not. It was back here? Yeah. Okay, so tell that story. Uh, what, what George Thurgood? Yes. No, no, it was in the spring training. Of, yeah, that's what I thought. Of 84. Right. So it was the following spring. And we used to play games at old Al Lang Field, which is in uh, St. Pete. And th- that was one of the nicer ballparks down there. And it was shared by the Mets and Cardinals at the time. And I used to go uh, to B games at 10 o'clock in the morning and sit behind home plate there and tape the games. There'd be nobody in the stands because the, the real game wouldn't start till 1 o'clock. And I'll never forget, I was shooting a game. It was the Phillies versus the Cardinals. And I look over about two sections. There's nobody in there except this one guy wearing black pants, long black pants, long sleeve black T-shirt, black hat, and sunglasses. And I'm like, that's George Thurgood. And I remembered that he was a big Mets fan. And I'm thinking to myself, why is he a Mets fan if he's from Delaware? That's not right. The rest of the band are all Phillies fans. The rest of the band are all Phillies fans. And George was down there. And I remember hearing stories that he was a big baseball fan that used to come down to spring training. 
So it was between innings, and I, I got up and I walked over to him, and I said, why are you a Mets fan? And he just like looked at me like, who's this stranger accosting me here? He goes, what do you mean? I said, why are you a Mets fan? He goes, because I don't like Veterans Stadium. I said, all right, that's not much of an excuse. And I, I went back and I sat down, you know, about 20 seats over. And finally he gets up. I, I must have really annoyed him. And he came over. He goes, what are, you, what are you bugging me for? I said, nothing. I just wonder why you're a Mets fan. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taping this for the Phillies. You want to sit here? He goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> so he winds up watching the whole game with me. And I never once said, oh, you're George Thurgood. You right. know, like I, I never played into that. And I think he, he liked that, you know, that I wasn't like, oh, you're the rock star. So, um, he said, I'm coming back at 1 o'clock for the Mets game. I said, all right, you can sit here now. And, and he was – so he we wound up playing there about four times that week, and every time he sat with me, he said, can my band guys come down here too? I said, yeah, sure, they can come down. So we'd have like four or five guys. It was a pretty big area. And um, I was living at the time at a condo on uh, Indian Rocks Beach, and at the same complex was Larry Christensen who was having really bad problems with his elbow, and he, he had finally realized it was time for him to retire. So his girlfriend said, we're going to have a party here. There was, I think, eight units in the condo. One of them was Richie Ashburn. Was, somebody else was in there. I forget. And I was in there with a bunch of the ground crew guys. And they said, can you help us throw this party? You know, we're going to need a lot of organization. I'm like, sure. So she said, okay, it's on Saturday. I said, can I invite George Thurgood to this party? And uh, she's like, yeah, sure. Is that that guy that has that Bad to the Bone song? And it, it had just come out like a month before. Wait, hold on. This is before a cell phone. So you're assuming you're going to see him at Al Lang Stadium? Yeah, I knew I was going to see him that day. because we, we had been there like three or four times. We, we were constantly playing the Mets and Cardinals. So I knew I'd see him again. And she said, yeah, you can invite him. And so I went to the game, and there he was. He comes, sits down next to me. I said, how would you like to come to a party with the Phillies on Saturday. He goes, yeah, that'd be cool. I said, uh, he says, Schmitty going to be there? I said, yeah. He says, is Ashburn going to be there? I said, yeah. He's, I said, he lives right there. He goes, all right, uh, can my band come? I said, absolutely. I said, no problem. I said, Here, here's the address. Be there at 5 o'clock. So the, the uh, day arrives. We get back to the place around 5, and we're helping set up. The, it was on the beach, and we're setting up the barbecue and the picnic, and George doesn't show up. Everybody's wearing cut-off shorts and Hawaiian shirts and everything. Finally, it's about 6.30, and all of a sudden, this guy pulls into the driveway. And he comes out wearing snakeskin jacket, <laughs> like great big hat. Doesn't look anything like Florida. Doesn't look anything like baseball. He's wearing the sunglasses. He completely ignores me, walks right up to Mike Schmidt, who's like looking at him like, who's, Who is this, who's guy? this guy right. coming after me? George sticks out his hand. He goes, Mike. My name's George, and I got this band called the Destroyers. And Mike, like, backs up. He's, like, scared of the guy. So finally, after a couple minutes, we convince Mike that, you know, this, you know, bad to the bone. That's the guy on MTV. Oh, okay, fine. So George says hi. He's cordial to everybody. And his band shows up, and they're really nice. And George looks at me and goes, where's Richie Ashburn? I said, I don't know. He lives, he lives in the condo up those stairs, and he just disappears. Comes back three hours later. And he had just knocked on Whitey's door and said, my name's George. I got this band called the Destroyers. And Whitey, like, invited him in for three hours oh, to talk awesome. baseball. That's great. So it was so cool. And then the, the punchline of the story was it was a really nice uh, retirement party for Larry Christensen. Next day at the ballpark, he's in there. I said, hey, I didn't see George uh, after uh, he went up to Whitey's. 
And he said, oh, he's living on my couch now. He said he's going to spend the week here. Oh, and he wound my. up playing bars all, all up right? and down. Is that right? Get out uh, of here. Right on, yeah. All up and down. The San Key. San Key. And, and, yep. Yep. So it was a, And I haven't seen him since. And that was 1984. Well, I'm, I'm friendly with the drummer. Yeah. Jeff Simon, uh, yeah, I met, yeah. I met all those guys. Yeah. I met Jeff. And, yep. and real nice people. You know what? It's a George Stargo story. But that's a Whitey story, too. Because I was going to ask story, you. Yeah. You know, Come you know, on in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, and for you to be, you know, this is kind of all new to you, and, yeah. you know, uh, the players, but also Harry and Whitey. Yeah. I mean, was it really cool for you to all uh, of a sudden you're hanging out with, uh, with was, those two guys? Uh, absolutely. You know, Harry, well, we all have a Harry love party i mean every and and the three of us every time we see each other we address each other as harry would address us my wife hasn't been listening to the every podcast surprisingly what? enough yeah can you believe, believe that? that but she said i i did listen to your podcast the other day and at one point you did you sat you were like uh doing a harry callis impersonation are you allowed to do that <laughs> i'm allowed? like allowed to do that I'm, I'm sitting in the radio booth i can't believe i'm not doing it the whole time I'm i don't right. think i've ever passed video dan in a, in a hallway <laughs> I, do it. I don't think I've ever passed him in a hallway and I said, Vintage, Al's Vintage. Johnny B. Yeah, some, yeah. but yeah, classic. Sounds classic. better on these headphones. Yeah, not too bad. All right, well, listen, we're, let's take a little break. This is a professional thing we got here, Vid. We're going to take a quick uh, little uh, promo. And, I, and I'm sure you have more stories. Yeah, yeah and I want to talk about the 1993 team, uh. too, because I know uh, we all love them, too. So. And Steve Bedrosian. We got to get yeah. to Steve Bedrosian. Oh, my gosh, Steve and, and you have to do a teak. Impression, um, and there's going to be a Bruce Springsteen quiz. So we, this Ooh. is this is going to be uh, nice. a heavy uh, third segment coming up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At the Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Frank's Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new, right in the yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. And we're back. Phillies backstage. John Brazier, director of Fun and Games, with me, and the great Video Dan Stevenson. Uh, We were just talking during the break, Video Dan Steve Bedrosian, Cy Young Award winner, but complete madman. Maybe the funniest guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's guys that are funny that aren't funny. You know what I mean? They're like, they're so nuts that, that it's, it's kind of uncomfortable funny. Steve Bedrosian was just hilarious. And it, it was like he was on all the time. He was he, he was one of those uh, loud comedian type guys, you know, kind of in-your-face guy. And he was... He was hysterical. But wait a minute. There was a time when you were uncomfortable because <laughs> yep. didn't he play some game with you guys when you were in the okay. video room? He did a thing at, at the vet. In the, the video room was kind of uh, in the middle of a giant weight room. And at the vet, there were these huge cement pillars that held the building up. And they sort of walled off two of these pillars and, and with a plywood wall. And so the video room there was like an old storage room. There were all these steamer trunks in there. And we threw a couple couches and, and some TVs and some chairs. So what would happen typically during a game is the players would filter in and out. A guy would come up want to see is it bad. He'd sit there and do it. But there are a certain element of players that would goof off back there. Say, And another a good example, and we'll get to this story later, but Steve Carlton was back there. When he wasn't pitching, he was back in the video room because he just liked being back there. He'd rather be there than on the bench. And um, he was one of the funnier people too. Nobody ever knew that, but we'll, we'll get we'll save another segment for Lefty. 
But um, guys would be back in there, and you know the, the the short relievers would be back there till you know the sixth inning, and they'd be eating hot dogs and fried chicken stuff like that. Some of the bench players would wander back, so you get you get a, a, a variety of people. And the door to the video room was kind of right in the middle of the room. And if you're standing in the weight room looking in, you could see everybody sitting there. So all of a sudden we would be watching the game and you would hear mad ball. Yell, Someone just yelling mad ball. Mad ball. And that was the same thing as incoming. And what it was, you had about eight seconds to hit the deck to get on the floor because Steve Bedrosian would stand out in the weight room with a baseball and a bat throw the ball in the air, and hit the ball as hard as he could into the video room without any knowledge of where it was going to go. Yeah, there's TVs and computers and... TVs, glass, pictures on the wall with glass frames. There there were (laughs) million-dollar baseball players in there. He did not care. He would throw the ball in the air and just hit it as hard as he could into the room. He'd do it about three times. So when you heard the word mad ball, that meant take cover (laughs) for your life. And it amazed me because he'd do this about every other day. And never hit any he, – he only hit one player one time. He hit a guy named Chris James on the arm. Chris was our uh, third baseman third who took over for Schmidt. Schmitty, yeah. And at the time, Bedrock didn't care. He, he drilled Chris James right on the arm, and, and we're all like, okay, <laughs> this has to come to an end now. But he kept doing it every time and never did enough damage to uh, to, to get reprimanded. <laughs> well, he did a, a, a Jack Nicholson uh, impersonation well, too. What right? happened well, was there was a – we were going through a bad stretch. It was, it was 1987. And Steve or eighty eight and Steve had won the Cy Young the year before. So I think he felt like rules are for other guys. They're not for guys that won the Cy Young. So there was a game where uh, there were four or five bench guys sitting in the video room doing whatever, watching at bats or watching the game. And one of the coaches came running up and was looking for one of the pinch hitters and he wasn't in our room, but he couldn't be found. And we wound up screwing that inning up. And Lee Ely was the manager, and he went ballistic. He goes, from now on, I want every player on the bench the entire game. And he came up to me. He goes, I want you to lock yourself in the video room and don't let anybody in there. And I'm like, well, what about if a guy wants to see a bat? I don't care. Nobody's allowed in there. So I did what I was told. I locked myself in the video room. And you didn't want to mess with Lee Ely, right? No. Uh-uh. And, and Lee was a good guy, for right, one thing. But he thing. was tough, too. But he was very, like- very tough. He could be real intimidating. So I'm like, I'm not – you know, I'm not going to goof around here. I'm locking the door. So I literally got a padlock and locked myself in. First sitting, I hear a knock on the door. And I know who it is. It's Bedrosian because he's waiting for his bucket of fried chicken that the clubhouse kids were getting from for him. And he'd eat it back there until about the fifth inning. So I hear him knock on the door, and he said, it's bedrock. Let me in. I said, I'm not allowed. He goes, let me in this door now. I said, I'm not allowed. Lee told me I had to lock myself in. I hear silence, and then I hear, I'll be back. I think he stole that from Arnold or Arnold Arnold stole from him. (laughs) So I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, I hear this boom. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And then I hear another boom. And after about four gigantic booms, I see a little piece of an axe head come through the door. And he got a fire axe and literally cut a hole in the door, got his face in it, and again, quoting a movie, here's Johnny. And he reached in, unlocked the door, and got in. I said, I did my job. Yeah, there's nothing I you can do there. Lock myself in. I'm not going to go up against a guy with a fire axe. All right. How about another reliever that uh, you were tight with? Uh, totally not, I, yeah. I know exactly who you're going to say. <laughs> and that would be Kent DeColvey. Kent DeColvey, pirates. So, tell, tell, wasn't there a time when Kent DeColvey uh, had it through a party? Was it a Super Bowl party? No, it was uh, uh, the, the final game of the NCAAs in 1986, right. spring training. And 
Kent had come over in 85 in the middle of the year. And Kent was one of those guys that he had had his success with the Pirates, and they were a very close-knit team. And he sort of had this team atmosphere. I'm going to build a team bonding thing. So he threw this party at a – we won't say the name of the hotel in Florida. Because it's still there. It's still there. And they think another team did this. But um, he hired – a huge uh, catering thing had steamship roast and all kinds of food and seafood and he invited everybody on the team and all the staff so all the grounds crew and and it was men only so it was a giant tv set that he, he he actually bought a screen with a big projector and they're watching the game and the first basket went in and you see like a peanut or two hit the screen and they come down the other side and then other team scores and you see like maybe a little tomato hits the screen next thing you know there is a full-fledged food fight going on like animal house food fight with even like the stars of the team grabbing giant hunks of roast beef and throwing it around the room and this went on for about 10 minutes and kent de got up in front of everybody like the school teacher <laughs> now one thing you have to know about kent de he always wore these sands about golf pants and he had these bright red sands about golf pants and one leg was covered entirely in mustard <laughs> so he'd been a victim of that and he just gets up in front of everybody like this like the school teacher he goes all right guys i think we've had our fun <laughs> <laughs> the best line, which I can't repeat word for word, but Steve Carlton basically gave him the line from Animal House where they say, hey, Teak, you, trusted you messed up, you trusted <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, and next go. thing you know, a giant piece of roast beef goes by Teak's head, and that was the last <laughs> we heard from him for the rest of the evening. And somebody had to pay that bill. Well, that was even the best part. Like, like 10 days later, we're all at the Jack Russell Stadium, and the loudspeakers um, – we're kind of like MASH. You know, you'd hear Larry Shanko, well, will uh, Paul Owens please report to the office? <laughs> so we're all sitting out there. Will Kenta Covey please come, come to the uh, uh, to the administrative offices? And we're all, ooh, Called to the principal's office. So he, like, he knew exactly what it was, and he goes marching over there, and he comes back, and he, uh, he said, damage, 20 grand. And he, he just he, – and we all went, whoa. And he goes, I want $1,200 from all the – starters everybody else is off the hook and we're all like yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so all us little guys didn't have to pay, <laughs> didn't have to pay anything. we, we, we now, had the price of mission he made all the all the his teammates pay for all that. right let's go to another crazy clubhouse okay. that you dealt with 1993 wow. what was that like because i'm sure you were not only a fly on the wall you were part of it well that was the best and and, and that was the 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 one time you would want to be a fly on the wall was for those guys and it was I, I was telling somebody this spring training was the only thing I've seen that was remotely like that in terms of just a team atmosphere because spring trainings tend to be kind of sterile, you know. They're like the guys know they have to get down there and get their work in, and there's not a lot of goofing around and stuff. Um, but that spring, those guys were were so sick of losing that they 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 just got together and said we're done we're, we're going to show everybody we're not that bad and if everybody remembers there were fights with other teams in spring training there were beanball wars and you never see that in florida and they left spring training ready to compete and wound, wound up having like a 17-3 record coming out of florida which was you know what they needed to catapult themselves to the postseason that year and it, it was awesome and they were insane and and the other one they two ways about it like we were they were talking on the air about what was the only other team that dale murphy played for besides the phillies and 
I forget what what the other one, but it was he was traded to Colorado out of spring training and never made their roster. But uh, once Dale Murphy left the Phillies, there were no sane people. Left <laughs> right. They always team. had to apologize yeah. to Dale when he was in the uh, right. clubhouse. Yeah. But with him gone. Yeah. They said, and they were legitimately yeah. wild and crazy people and fun. And it was a it was a the best time I've ever had in baseball. And it, and it and it's amazing how close they came to winning it all against a Toronto team that was essentially an all-star team. I mean, those guys were incredible, and we stood toe-to-toe with them. And, man, that was fun. Yeah, we had Frank Kopenbarger on last week, and uh, we asked him about John Cruck. And, you know, I think John single-handedly almost put Frank in the, yeah. in the loony bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. And the PR staff. And the PR staff. Well, okay, I, my favorite story from 93 is a John Cruck story. And I, I, I can never forget to tell this one because John lived about 15 miles from the ballpark. And so on a Saturday night with a Sunday day game, he felt that was far too long a commute for him to go home. So he would make plans to stay overnight in the Phillies clubhouse. Now, meanwhile, I I lived like 60 miles away, and I would drive home and then drive back. So I always knew that once I got back in on Sunday morning, I'd find my friend John asleep on the couch, the same couch that my dog used to throw up on and everything. It, it (laughs) It came from my basement. He didn't care. So th- this one day, you know, he, he's like, oh, this is great. Fergosi gave me the day off tomorrow. You know, we're facing a lefty, and it's going to be 110 degrees on the turf. He said, I'm going to have fun tonight. He said, I know I'm not playing. So I left him there, and he was already enjoying a pitcher of beer or two. And I knew there were, that wasn't going to be the end of it. Um, the next morning I came in at about 9 o'clock, and what I found was the video room in complete disarray. There were five or six empty pitchers or spilled pitchers. He'd spilled one on the couch. Four or five movies going. Just junk, like hot dog wrappers and food wrappers and half-eaten sandwiches all over the video room. And nowhere to be found was John Cruck. No, where is he? This is, this is not good. And all of a sudden, people were like, where's Crucky? Where's Crucky? And I'm like, I don't know. They said, well, Fergosi said he's playing today because Wes Chamberlain can't play. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's not playing today. So then I see him, and he looks like a ghost. He's completely gray. He looks horrible. And he said, I'm in trouble. I said, what do you mean? He said, I threw 96 innings of wiffle ball (laughs) to the clubhouse kids. Yeah, he said, I can't raise my arm above my shoulder. He said, there's no way I can play. And he, he like, like shuffled out of the room, and I'm like, oh, my God. this is un-. He goes out and gets three hits that of day. Of course he did. Unbelievable. <laughs> he, was, he's, he is one of the all-time characters that, that's ever played in the Phillies. Did uniform. you have any dealings with the dude? Like, no, you know, like Lenny, Lenny would, would watch videotape. He, and he, I was going to say, because I thought he would be the one that. Yeah, he'd, he'd study it. And there were a couple times when, uh, I do have a good one for you, but there were a couple times when he would get a hit off a guy, and he'd come running back in. He goes, that is the mechanics I'm looking for. He goes, put that aside and let me show me that whenever I'm going bad. I want to see that one swing. There's one game against Jamie Moyer when Jamie was with the Cardinals. And uh, we. I, I think Jamie did not get out of the first inning. And I think Lenny might have had two hits in the first inning. And he came back in the video room, and he's looking at his tape. He goes, oh, 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 Jamie's crying. <laughs> was no one, way. It was one of, the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Did you ever tell Jamie that story? I think I did. <laughs> 
Did you cry when they lost? Lo- lost? No, vid? Oh, no, not cry. No, because but it was tough. But, 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 and I, you know, and so many people second guessed Jim Fergosi and mm. all that stuff. But you know, it was like we rode Mitch Williams all the way there. Mitch couldn't do it anymore. He admitted it. He didn't have anything left. If you notice, Larry Anderson and David West also had nothing left. They struggled right. to get out of that eighth inning. Yes. And and it, we were they, literally hanging on by a thread, and it happened. And you know, it was it was a great World Series. The the bad game was Game Four when we had the big lead and couldn't hold it. And you know, then Shill comes along Game Five, and and that was one of the greatest thrills ever. So it was there was a lot to that series. So then, in two thousand and eight, where were you when Bradley struck out Eric Hinsky? Uh, well, there's a thing that we call the money shot. I said I'm going to get the money shot because I was told. Then we're looking at it now that the scoreboard had fireworks right behind the Phillies logo there. So I said, when Bradley makes a strikeout, I'm going to be right behind Charlie Manuel, and I'm going to get Charlie's head in the foreground. And the Phillies logo and the fireworks in the background didn't get it. Missed, oh. They didn't. The go fanatic off in didn't time. get in your way because that's no. where the fanatic was. Right. They did. The, the, it just happened. So everybody grabbed Charlie and he sort of disappeared into this, yes. this bunch of coaches. And and the, the fireworks like were a hair late and it, it was just missed the shot. It was like one of those things. I said this will be the ultimate money shot, but. Didn't happen. Somebody got it. There yeah. was some good, some good. But shots. I got to be right behind Charlie, and and yeah. you know one of the greatest moments in Phillies history. So you can't beat that. And the parade you were on. Oh, uh, was, were you, I was on the float with uh, Jimmy and Jamie Moyer, okay. and uh, that parade was the most ridiculously great thing I've ever been. A were part you filming of the life. whole time? Yeah, and it was and it was funny because. I knew Major League Baseball had two cameramen here, and I knew there were three floats. And I said, I'll take one float, you guys take the other two, so we'll we'll have a camera on each float. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, ah, it kind of stinks I had to work for this parade. I am so happy I had a camera with me because it was the greatest visual I've ever mm. seen and then the greatest visual I've ever shot through a lens of just all these faces and all these people and all this joy. And it was it was tremendous. I tell people when you, when we went up from uh, Penn's Landing mm-hmm. and we went up Spring Garden, right? That yeah. was the first time we yeah. started going heading towards the city. That it looked like we liberated Paris. Yeah. Yeah. I say this all the time because people yeah. were hanging out windows. Oh, yeah. There was confetti. People were waving tissues. Yeah. Babies crying. Grandmothers. People hoisting drinks up on the up on the floats. Yeah, it was I mean, tremendous. it was unbelievable. It was the best. It, it was funny because on our float was So Taguchi and his <laughs> wife, and So didn't speak english yeah so i'm talking to his wife and i'm like hey you guys just went through this with st louis two years ago she goes yes i said what was it like she goes it was very nice we were each in convertibles and we went down the main street in state st louis for about three blocks and there were hundreds of people there i said this is gonna be a little <laughs> a different a little different <laughs> and when we turned the corner on the market she was just like oh like <laughs> she just was blown away and she's like looking at me like okay i get it all right it now was, uh, video i know yeah. you're a huge bruce fan but before we do we always give a trivia question okay. uh, questions to uh quiz to our guests but uh, did you know that the fanatic is a big Bruce fan? But I don't not think I don't, not, I'm not sure if Bruce is a big fan of the fanatic. <laughs> no, not t- vice versa. Video Dan knows he got it firsthand. Uh, oh my can you, gosh! Can you guys tell that story, please? Well, I'll be happy to. Oh. It was uh, it was <laughs> yeah. 90, 99. 99. and uh, I had made friends with some of Bruce's roadies, and they said to us, "I said if if you ever need anything to get autographed for your charities, let us know." 
And I said, yeah, we do a big thing for ALS, and we'd love to have some items. So I brought over a couple things for Bruce to sign, and I got a Scott Rowland autographed bat, and it was Bruce signed after Scott. And uh, so you, it, the, the, whoever won that thing got a Bruce Springsteen Scott Rowland bat, which is pretty cool. And we had all these items. And then that night, uh, Bruce was at the, was at the yeah, old Spectrum. At the old Spectrum. And One uh, night only. The, the friend of the Fanatic, Mr. Burgoyne here, told me, I think the Fanatic's going to try to crash Bruce's show. I said, you know, you ought to, you ought to check first. Make sure it's okay. Well, he wound up running across the street because our game was going on at the same time. Yeah. He runs across the street, runs up into the spectrum. Everybody lets him in because he's fanatic. Yeah. The ushers all let him in. He goes running down the pit. The pit, mm-hmm. and I'll let uh, his friend tell you. Yeah, what row next. one because it was the fifth inning. Fanatic literally did his fifth inning routine Got on his ATV, bike. went right up the truck ramp, and right, drove right across the street to the concert. Within two minutes, he's row one. And uh, unfortunately, I, my thing is, I think if Bruce was playing Glory Days or you know one of those upbeat songs, he he would have pulled a Courtney Cox and grabbed the Fanatic and had him dancing on stage. But he was in the middle of the song Murder Incorporated. It's a pretty heavy song. <laughs> so yeah. it was very heavy. Bruce was in his full Bruce mode. The Fanatic was in Fanatic mode because the Fanatic was like pounding his head on the stage and getting everybody around him going nuts. And uh, we actually did call uh, two nights prior. To st- uh, well, I had nothing to do with that because the Fanatic <laughs> never asked for permission. Yeah, but always, somebody always else forgiveness. no longer works here uh, called over and they said, no, it's okay. You know, we don't need the Fanatic, but the Fanatic. Thought. Did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. got to go over anyway. So, uh, unbeknownst to me, I thought everything was going great until somebody came down and uh, from management at the Spectrum and was right in the Fanatic's face, screaming at the Fanatic, right in like in row one, you know, <laughs> right, during right, the concert. Right. And so they led the Fanatic out. This guy led the Fanatic out, and the Fanatic's high five and everybody coming up the aisle. Everybody was so fired up. But Bruce thought, was not happy. Well, that's what Video Dan told me the next day, well, right? Maybe. Yeah. So I went to collect my uh, things to be signed and they're all looking at me like it's a good thing you didn't bring these today because bruce wouldn't have signed them he's not real happy with your green mascot <laughs> so i said well okay timing is everything thank the, you the we'll fanatic's still a fan he bruce loves the fanatic i know he in does. his heart he does yes. yeah all right video love the stories by the way in fact we're gonna have you on i think again because we've got yeah. millions of stories oh, yeah. that you're, we haven't got to yeah. you're our martin short you're gonna be our you know the guy who comes on or like charles groden was he on like with david yeah. letterman every yeah. once in a while but i'd rather uh, be like uh, um Oh, Bob Euchre on on uh, <laughs> yeah, on the Tonight Show. Most appearances on the on the Tonight Show. That'd be All perfect. Right. Well, you'll be our Bob Euchre, but you have to. In, in order to be our Bob Euchre, you have to pass this quiz that we put together. Okay. okay on Bruce. Now, this is you have to listen carefully. Okay. Okay. Because uh, there, this is for the diehard Bruce Springsteen fans, and right. I think you are one of them. Okay. What song? Here's question one. There's five questions, and Tom, what do you think? Does he have to get four out of five? Yeah, four out that's of five. Like a, that's video. a B. Yep. Right. Well, four out of five. Four we, think, we think he can do it. What song, first question, what song opens up with the Ragamuffin Gunner? Is it, you can say the Lost answer. Lost in blur- the Flood. Come Lost, on. Uh, Lost in the Floods. You are one for one. I you don't even sold have to, it. I on. don't even have to give them the choices. All right, this gets a little trickier. Just letting you know. The song E Street Shuffle describes characters from E Street, from the album The Wild Venus and the E Street Shuffle. Which of the following is not a name mentioned in the song E Street Shuffle? Is it Power 13, Easy Joe, Little Angel, or Spanish Johnny? Spanish Johnny. Come on. Yeah. Spanish Johnny. I told you to get that. All right. Which song on Darkness on the Edge of Town was about Bruce's relationship with his father? Was it Factory, My Father's House, Adam Raised a Cane, or Independence Day? Well, it's. 
well, Factory is about as that. Independence Day was on uh, the river. But I didn't say that. I said, which song on Darkness on the Edge yeah, of Town? That's, that's, okay, well, it's Factory then. That is incorrect. It's oh. Adam raised a cane. No, stop. Right, so but Factory was. The lyrics. I, they both are. I answered but was, Factory, too. But was Factory on uh, Darkness on the Edge of yes. Town? Yes. Okay. Well, then. Maybe <laughs> this we'll, is, I'm we sorry. Might, yeah, but but trivia, John has given right. this trivia question five weeks in a row and has screwed it up it every be, time. Would it be fun if I didn't screw it up? <laughs> All right. Then I, I have it. You know what? We'll throw that question out. Thank uh, you. We'll throw that question out because I have a backup question just in case because I have screwed up every one of them. I always have a backup. So here's the other one. Which legendary artist has come? Covered numerous Bruce songs, including "I'm on Fire," "Highway Patrolman," and "Further on Up the Road." Is it A. Roy Orbison, B. Waylon Jennings, C. Johnny Cash, D. Willie Nelson? C. Johnny Cash. All Bang. right, you got. It. All right, here's one or two more. "Hungry Heart" was released as a single from the river. However, Bruce originally intended to write this song. He was, he was in fact asked by the lead singer of a seminal punk rock band to write a song for him. Bruce wrote the song for the punk rock band, but then decided this could be a hit. I'm going to keep it for myself. Was it for The Clash, The Ramones, The Sex Pistols, or The Dead Kennedys? I'm going to say the – I know I've, I know the story. Uh, I'm going to go Sex Pistols. It's The Ramones. So Damn. you have to get this last question okay. right in order to win. Oh, boy. All right. Bruce's 11th studio album was The Ghosts of Tom Jode. What classic novel was Tom Jode a character? Was it Grapes of Wrath, The Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, or To Kill a Mockingbird? Grapes of Wrath. Come grapes on. of Wrath, and he won right there. <laughs> there it is. Right? He won the challenge. And so what's he win again? He wins nothing, nothing and likes it. <laughs> I don't like it, but I won you nothing. Win, I'll take it. You win the, the 2018 video yearbook that you're going to put together. Nice. Great. <laughs> Got to come up with a title, too. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Video Dan, we could do this for uh, forever. Well, let's pencil it in for later in the summer, we, boys. We will. We'll definitely Only, let's change the title of Burgoyne and Brazier Beers with Burgoyne and Brazier. Yeah, I, I like that. And can you say thanks for having us on? Ha, thanks for having me on in uh, Teak's voice. Thanks for having me on, fellas. <laughs> little slice. That is That's perfect. That's Larry Anderson. Been a oh. slice. <laughs> a perfect send-off. Video Dan, thank you very much. John, thank you. Thank Rob you, John. Brooks, thank you back there. You're Thanks, an awesome Brooksy. engineer. You know it. And uh, another great edition of Phillies Backstage. And I guess we'll see you uh, next time, and we'll see you at the ballpark. Thanks, everybody. That'll work. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.